Did you know that there is a Leonard Nimoy episode of Columbo? Well, there fucking is. Hello, this is Sarah Benincasa, and I'm hanging out with my dog, Morley Safer, looking out my window at the Freedom Tower in Lower Manhattan. I am in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, a delightful place to be. And I am hanging out with Morley Safer, the greatest dog of all time, and this is In the Casa with Sarah Benincasa. Um... You guys, wow, we made it to springtime almost. This episode will hopefully be coming out before spring has sprung officially, but it's March, and that is so utterly thrilling to me and delightful. So here's what happened tonight. Went out to a restaurant in the neighborhood, which was lovely. Came back, and Morley Safer was, who is 12 pounds, had climbed up onto the dining area table the dining room table and was laying there and we had left on some music for her as we do we left on some Chopin and she was obviously listening to it because she was laying right next to the laptop that was playing it and she's an amazing dog and so smart and that's obviously what was going on and anyway she saw us and she got nervous because she anticipated that we would be displeased that she was laying on the table so that we caught her of sorts and so she just sort of like nervously pee squatted so she peed very close to the laptop but thankfully not on the laptop and so now my laptop is functioning and so is my gentleman callers i had a really cool week i went to this place called the morbid anatomy museum with my friend henry zabrowski who's on round table of gentlemen and last podcast on the left um all of which are podcasts right here on cave comedy radio you may be listening via itunes we'll just know that one of uh the perks of being a part of the in the casa um family is that you are also part of the cave comedy radio family so go to cavecomedyradio.com and learn about all the shows that are there you can also support us this is so important i can't emphasize enough how much i appreciate everyone who contributes to patreon patreon is uh how we fund this how i fund this little podcast i don't have any sponsors i just have patreon patrons patreon supporters if you go to p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com patreon.com slash sarah benincasa you will see that you can contribute at a number of different levels and basically what you do is you sign up so that they take um, a certain amount of money out of your bank account every month and it goes to me for this podcast and so um, you know, you donate, or if you give $1 a month, you get access to the patreon.com um, activity feed, which has like special places you can interact with me and ask questions and, and, and all kinds of stuff. And then if you contribute at higher levels, like for example, if you contribute at the $3 or more level, you get something more. You get access to the podcast newsletter with recaps, show notes, a funny column, elaborations that didn't make it into the show, plus all lower level rewards. So you also get the access to the patron feed. Um, For $5 per month, I am going to be making a Friends of the Podcast banner, and that is going to go on my website. So your name will be on that. Plus you get the newsletter, plus you get the uh, patron-only activity feed access. And if you pledge $10 or more per month, you get to be part of Sarah's support group. We're going to do a coffee chat using Spreecast. 
which is really easy to use software that um, that you can use. And, and I'll give you a set special secret login code. And at a specific appointed time, we will do a coffee chat and we'll do that once a month. And then you also get your name on the banner and you also get access to the newsletter and you also get the activity feed. If you contribute at $20 per month, you get a signed photo of me and my puppy, Morally Safer, plus all lower level rewards, 50 bucks a month, a private email group where you will be part of the magic. Help me produce the show plus all lower reward levels and 100 dollars a month you get a show segment named after you and we'll do the segment every episode uh, for the we'll do the segment every single episode plus all lower reward levels and um, so it's good so it's, it's really neat and it helps me quite literally keep the lights on and keep this podcast going it paid for these microphones it paid for some of the software that i'm using it paid for a lot of things and so i really appreciate it but back to what i was talking about before the morbid anatomy museum was so cool there's this exhibit that's up called The Collector's Cabinet. And I bought the exhibition guide, and I became a member, actually, of um, of the Morbid Anatomy Museum. So they, how to describe what they do. Let me go to their website and tell you exactly what they, what they say that they do. Um, exploring the intersections of death, beauty, and that which falls between the cracks. That's a pretty great way to explain it, I would say. They have all kinds of things. They have exhibitions on um, weird collections, on uh, the idea of spirits returning, on the art of mourning, on, oh gosh, all kinds of things. It's, it's so interesting. Um, they're doing an exhibition that starts April 11th, 2015, and it runs through January 5th, 2016. It's called Do the Spirits Return from Dark Arts to Sleight of Hand in Early 20th Century Stage Magic. Isn't that cool? They're By the way, they're not a sponsor. Like, I just, I, I, when I talk about stuff on this podcast, it's just because I really freaking like it. And I went to this this space, this big, beautiful, I think it looks like it used to be a warehouse or some sort of like old-timey factory, and it's full of, of knickknacks and strange things and odd skeletons and things that are, are crazy and, and wild and things that um, could have been in a carnival sideshow in the 1850s and anatomical museum uh, items and weird musical, or, or, excuse me, medical instruments and they have something, they have talks, they teach, um, they, they, they have a talk called Erotomania and Murder, 19th Century Sexual Monsters, Cute and Creepy, A History of the Grotesque in Art. It's just so neat. And there's something that I really want to go to, which is called Anomalous Music, Music from the Occult. And I think I'm going to go, and I think I'm going to take my friend, um, Mike Errico, who is the composer of the theme song for this very, uh, very podcast and you just heard it and um oh wow it's there's just endless neat things there and i really encourage you to check out morbidanatomymuseum.org so speaking of let's go back to i was talking about on patreon if you give one hundred dollars a month or more you get a segment on the podcast named after you and we do the segment every single episode of the podcast and in this case we're doing the kepler on campus advice segment. The Kepler on Campus advice segment is um, pretty groovy. I, I, I personally, you know, like it pretty much. Um, not just because they contribute a, a, a shitload of money to this podcast, for which I am very grateful, 
but also because they end up helping people. And we, I, I think, as a podcast community, end up helping people. Um, I have, there are lots of ways you can ask me for advice questions for the Kepler on Campus advice segment. And one way is to just email Sarah at com. Another way is twitter.com slash Sarah J. Benincasa. You can just tweet at me. You can also, um, you can go to my Instagram, instagram.com slash Sarah J. Benincasa, and you could ask me a question in the Instagram comments if you so desire. You can go to facebook.com slash in the casa. You can go to facebook.com slash official Sarah Benincasa, and you can chat and ask me questions, and we can talk about things, and it's very intriguing and, and good. And so I've gotten, oh, and also there's um, Sarah Benincasa com slash ask is another place where you can go. So um, I get questions. I get a lot of questions. And some of them are from, from you guys, and some of them are from people who perhaps haven't even discovered the podcast yet, but just know me from other things. And so I, uh, I, I, I love the questions. I really cherish the questions because they they make me feel like I, I can help people who I don't even know. And like when in times when I've been really down and out and troubled, and I have had many of those times. It has felt so good to reach out and to know that there were other human beings in the world who cared about me, even if they didn't know me. They cared about the idea of me. They cared about the idea that there was someone out there who needed help and who needed some love. And um, they were willing to give some advice to me, and whether directly or through books or, or different teachings. And so I just kind of want to, uh, I feel very grateful for that, and I want to help, basically. I, I guess I see my role in the world as making people happier one way or another. That is my ultimate goal. And, uh, you know, it's not true for everybody. I mean, there are some people who I end up treating poorly or, or being, you know, inappropriate to or with, and that's no help to anyone. But generally speaking, my aim in this life is to make things better for people in some way, shape, or form. And uh, I think that this is one of the ways that I can do that. And so um, here's a question that I got. My friends, jokingly, uh, my friends jokingly call me crazy. I have never been to a mental hospital, but my dad has. How do I tell them it hurts me without seeming oversensitive? It doesn't fucking matter if they think you're oversensitive. If they think you're oversensitive, they're douchebags. So this is actually a nice test for you to see which friends are worth your time. Uh, I say you sit down a friend, the friends individually and say, you know, sometimes you'll say that I'm so crazy and it just makes me feel bad because I have family members who've dealt with mental illness and who've been in and out of treatment and it's upsetting to me to hear you call me crazy i i i I love you and i value your opinion of me and maybe you know that word just hits me wrong and if you need to say that i'm wild maybe you could say that i'm wild if you need to say that i am um, individualistic that i'm unusual that i'm unique that i'm special you know Whatever words, of course, you'll come up with whatever words are, are good for you, person who asked this question. But um, go right ahead and tell your friends how you feel. And if they love you, they should respect you and be kind to you. And if they don't love you, 
then they don't respect you and, and you shouldn't give them the time of day. You know, I don't mind using the word crazy. I don't necessarily mind people calling me crazy. It depends on the context. A young lady came up to me at at a school. I I speak at colleges a lot, and a young lady came up to me at a school and said I shouldn't use the word crazy. It's insulting and that, you know, it was hurtful and harmful and would would hurt people. And I can understand that, that there are people for whom crazy is very painful. I I don't personally find it that painful when applied to me. I I suppose I feel like I can reclaim it in a sense and make it my own in some way. But uh, if somebody were ever to say to me, don't call me crazy, that's upsetting. I would completely understand because also women are called crazy a lot of the time when we behave in ways that are unusual, when we behave in ways that are outside the norm of what a woman is supposed to do, um, what a woman is supposed to be. We challenge people's perceptions of what a woman can and should be, and so they call us crazy because it's easier to dismiss us as being mad women than it is to acknowledge the fact that perhaps we're just different, and perhaps being different is okay. Now, there are other times when we do things that are that are very negative or have experiences emotionally, psychologically, that are harmful to us or harmful to other people, and under the rubric of crazy, perhaps that's a little bit closer to the actual definition, I suppose. But really, I, I suppose crazy doesn't have any definition anymore, any one solid definition, because it seems like people apply it not just to people like me who have a mental illness, but also to people who just wear pink on Mondays, and we pair we- on Wednesdays we, pair- we wear pink. <laughs> Oh, but somebody in our group just wore pink on Monday. She's crazy. You know, it's. I guess it's a complicated issue, and obviously I'm st- still sorting out my feelings about it. But bottom line, if somebody calls you something and it makes you feel shitty, uh, tell them not to call you that thing anymore. And if they continue to call you that thing, tell them to fuck off <laughs> or simply stop being friends with that person. Um I don't know why you would want to remain friends with anyone who continued to call you a name that hurt your feelings after you had already told them. Any whoosie what's-its. I wanted to also let you guys know about something neat that I I was talking to this, this group that I have, this, this online group of friends that I have, and a lot of them are women writers. And so I thought, you know, it would be interesting to ask them for some advice that I could share with those of you who are aspiring writers. Also under the rubric of the Kepler on Campus advice segment. And I, I said, I'm wondering if you have any bits of advice on writing about your real life, because I know that a lot of you folks out there are also trying to write about your real life, whether you're blogging, you're doing personal essays, or what have you. And by the way, I teach personal essay writing, and I teach memoir writing through a, co- a, a, a organization called Writing Pad. So if you go to writingpad.com, you can find my online classes if you're interested in taking an, an online class with me. Um... I am going to be teaching on Tuesday nights, personal essay class on Tuesday nights, and I will be teaching a memoir class on Sundays. So you can check that out at writingpad.com. So somebody said, I, I read in the autobiographer's handbook, if you're going to say something bad about someone, preface it by calling them attractive. They will not be able to get angry with you after that. But mainly, it's your story and yours to tell. If other people don't like it, they can write their own stories. 
Somebody else says, don't prejudge or apologize for your own story. Just tell it as you experienced it. Even mundane details are part of the texture of your story, so don't get too extreme about trimming them out, unless they're bogging things down, obviously. Someone said, it is okay to not always look the best in your essays, except that you have to write the shit ugly parts of yourself. And sometimes that raw honesty is the most impressive writing. And someone else says, what was that thing Joan Didion said? My only advantage as a reporter is that I am so physically small, so temperamentally unobtrusive, and so neurotically inarticulate that people tend to forget that my presence runs counter to their best interests. And it always does. That is one last thing to remember. Writers are always selling somebody out. I had an experience this week that I wanted to talk about. Um, I went to go see Bjork, and Bjork is great. Bjork was magical and wonderful and all the things I wanted Bjork to be. She emerged at Carnegie Hall from the wings wearing this sort of spectacular, I don't know how to describe what she was wearing, sort of like um, plastic spikes coming out of her head but they weren't threatening spikes they were beautiful spikes because they were bjork spikes they were translucent spikes emerging from this headpiece all surrounding her head and and it was white and reflected the light and she was wearing this beautiful white dress with this fabulous sort of wrap and these big thick white elevator looking shoes these platform shoes and she would just sort of, you know, dance around the stage and just do her thing <laughs> and be be her Bjork self. And I was there and I, I Instagrammed that that I was there and that's Instagram.com slash Sarah J. Benincasa. And then someone pointed out to me that um, somebody pointed out to me that someone had taken a picture of me they had i guess they had seen where i instagrammed where i was i was up in the in a balcony and so they based on that i guess they saw where i was and so they instagrammed me and wrote celebrity sighting and it was a very strange feeling because in the picture i'm just sitting and obviously thinking really hard (laughs) i'm sitting and thinking really hard about bjork um, and it was a peculiar feeling because I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm a celebrity, you know, oh, this is so exciting. Um, I, I've, I've done something, I've done something in, with my, in my life that would lead someone to be sufficiently impressed that they would take a picture of me without asking permission and put it up on Instagram and write celebrity setting. So there was this like ego aspect of it that I liked. And then there was this invasion of privacy, which is curious because I had put out into the world that I was there. I wanted people to know I was at Carnegie Hall. But I think it's the fact that the person didn't ask for permission in taking the photograph. You know, and I don't care. I look fine in it. It's not that. I think what happened, what I realized later was, oh, I, I sort of connected the dots in this really obvious way. If you tell people that you are in a certain place, they may visit you there. And that's fine. I'll sometimes say, hey, I'm holding open office hours at this location. 
feel free to show up and say hi and don't be weird like I'll do that when I travel to cities around the country and I've met some cool people that way but I got the idea from my friend Baratunde Thurston actually who I love very much but in this case I think I felt very strange because the person had taken a photo of me without being in it with me like if if the person had come up to me and said hey I don't know how they would have done that at Carnegie Hall but if they had come up to me and said hey let's take a photo can I take a photo with you people do that sometimes and I'll go yeah you know I'm not a real famous person but I am on the internet and people feel like they know me because they hear my voice or they read things that I've written and so they want to take a picture and, and they're excited about it and they like my comedy or whatever my books and I mean that's thrilling please that feeds my egotistical ass completely but it, I've, it's never happened to me before that it was somebody who just took the picture from afar. Like, I wasn't on stage, you know? I wasn't... We were at a Bjork show. I don't know. I'm, I'm still sorting out how I feel about it. I, it's interesting to think about and talk about, and I, I didn't feel threatened or unsafe in any way. And I'm sure the person who took it is really a neat person, and I appreciate that they like what I do. But um, it was kind of weird to think that I was on stage for some people, or, or for one person, <laughs> in that situation I don't know I was just staring at Bjork because she was amazing and ethereal and and perfect and I you know I'm not even a huge Bjork fan but I am now after seeing her it was incredible so guys if, if you have anything to say about what I've you know talked to you about um or if you have anything to add or you have any questions comments concerns about the podcast certainly if you have any advice questions for the Kepler on campus advice segment it is sarah at sarahbenincasa.com and I would love to hear from you all right, now we are going to have a very special treat, which is that I interviewed Jackie Zabrowski. Um, you know, I was talking about Henry Zabrowski earlier. I went to the Morbid Anatomy Museum with him and saw like a double calf skull and stuff like that. So this is uh, Henry's sister, Jackie, who is great in her own right. In addition, of course, to being a Zabrowski, um, Zachy is, Jackie is on uh, uh, page seven on Cape Comedy Radio, a gossip show. She is on the Round Table of Gentlemen, and she is on uh, another podcast that I can't remember right now because I'm a very silly woman, but you'll hear us talk about it. Jackie's great. She's in Murder Fist. Uh, earlier, we had Ed Larson on the show. Ed Larson is in Murder Fist. And um, Jackie's just a... Oh, she's on Sex and Other Human Activities. That's the, the podcast that I used to co-host with Marcus Parks. We started that podcast together years ago, like four years ago, I think. And I was on it for a couple years, and then I left. And Jackie's been on it for the past couple years and has made it her own. And she and Marcus do a really great job. So uh, I just, I like Jackie a lot. I've, I've always instinctively liked Jackie a lot. I used to be intimidated by her because she just was so funny and had seemed to be so, she seemed very confident, which I'm sure she would laugh at if I told that to her. Um, but she is just a, a neat person really interesting really funny really hardworking, um very talented and we've worked together on on something before and I, we're going to work together on a short film that i'm going to do uh in the near future which i'm really stoked about so anyway um get into it uh you can go to murderfist.com to learn more about jackie's group jackie is at jack the worm on twitter or you can just listen and learn she's cool and i really like her voice i think she's got a really cool voice so uh yeah it's time for some in the casa with jackie zabrowski and sarah benincasa hey everybody welcome to another edition of in the casa with sarah benincasa i'm sarah benincasa with me is actress comedian 
Do you like being called a comedian? Yeah. Mem- Not comedian, I though. I hate that. I hate comedian. I was looking at something where I was named, and this is not like a humble brag. This is a nice, this is a thing that I, I was pleased by, so I suppose it's a brag brag. I was named one of, like years ago, it was like one of 15 comedians you should know, but it wasn't comedians, it was comedians. Yuck. So it was like, as long as they've got, you know, like they identify as like a lady, she's you should know her. But <laughs> I'd get knocked out real quick if it was like a mixed bag. Yeah, no, no, no. Then she's nowhere near the list once right, you have no. the mixed bag. Yeah, I always get on, not always, but when I get on one of those lists, it's always a ladies and comedy list. It's never just a com- comedy list or a writer list. Like It's never like, 10 authors you should know. It's like, 10 ladies with boobies. <laughs> boobies, 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 boobies. If, that's, if that was the title, then I'd be fine with it. Yeah, that would actually be awesome. Although I never get, uh, but I don't get um, disgruntled uh, as opposed to, I think, uh, a lot of people that do when I get introduced as like a female comedian. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that a lot of people get upset about that before they get introduced on stage. And I don't really care. I mean, I understand why they're doing I think it's just people just say it i don't think it's out of malice yeah i don't think it's out of malice either i think it's out of just like well this is something different yeah and it's like well we're switching it up your next comedian is a girl which does it gets on my nerves but i also understand it i'm not like violently offended by it i just it does annoy me but it's not like well how dare you acknowledge that i am a female you bastard oh i just realized i didn't say your name um, this is Jackie Zabrowski. I mean, I'm not Jackie Zabrowski. That's Jackie Zabrowski. <laughs> Hi. She's in Murder Fist. Uh, she is the co-host of Sex and Other Human Activities right here on Cave Comedy Radio, cavecomedyradio.com. Maybe you're listening on iTunes and you didn't know that we are part of a network here at In the Casa. Well, we are. And it's called Cave Comedy Radio. Hell yeah. And it comes out of the Creek in the Cave, in which is a... God, it's so many things, really. It's a sex den... Oh, yeah. Um, it is a Mexican restaurant. It is a performance space for comedy. It is a pinball machine bar. Yeah, there's a lot of pinball enthusiasts that go Yeah, on. and it is also a place where you can watch Scandal on Thursday nights on the big screen. I've That's seen, noticed that. And then it also is a place where Cave Comedy Radio has its own little radio studio. It's awesome. It's everything all in one. It really is. I find when I go to the creek... You know, less and less, I, I recognize people, like, random people less and less, like the open mic kids and stuff. I don't really recognize like I used to, or uh, the stand-ups I don't necessarily recognize as much, but the podcasters I do. For sure. Like, when I go to, when I'm in there, I'm like, oh, okay, because, you know, you used to go, and it was like, you'd always see the following people. Lucas Brothers were always there. Michael Che was there a lot. Um who else Nick was there? Turner. Nick Turner was there a lot. Uh, uh, oh, who? Kevin Barnett was there a lot. Murder Fist was there a lot. And now it's still. I mean, it's still. It's growing and changing. They just had Just for Laughs, which for you guys who don't um, follow the comedy, Just for Laughs is this showcase in Mon- or it's a show in Montreal. It's a festival that a lot of people try to get into, and it's it's. You know, I would argue that festivals really aren't as important as they used to be in the internet age, but it still is considered a real feather in your cap to get a, a Just for Laughs spot. So they had Just for Laughs auditions at, at the Creek the other night, and people were all nervous. Yeah, like I mean, I think, it's, I think it's more just, I, I think it's more nervous because when you get into it, it's just a lot of fucking fun. It sounds like it yeah. is. 
I've never gone, but I imagine it's fun. I think I have to get a passport before I can go up there. Yeah, you do need a passport. Because <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, you got to get a passport. But but getting a passport is fun. And I like having a passport because I use that as my ID a lot. Ooh. Yeah, I think I just need to out. throw down the money. And then just be like, oh, now I can go anywhere in the world. It's good for like 10 years. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, I have... I have mine with, and, and it's funny because my photo was taken in 2008 or something and I look at it and I'm like, oh, I was a tiny baby. I got it because I was going to Germany to be on a panel about political humor. Ooh. Which was really cool um, in, in 2008. And when I was there, <laughs> this lady, these two ladies got in a fight Um because so it was at this place this this like american and german friendship space um and so this this big auditorium you know 300 people or something there like so this big crowd and it was great it was really fun and um this lady gets in a fight with another lady there this is a bush era obviously so they're they're like how they're like so they're, they're one of them was like george bush is like uh, a fascist and he is this and he is that and he is so awful and I was like yeah I mean sure I sort of agree with you on a lot of what you're saying and this other lady starts arguing with her and is like I don't think so I don't think so I don't agree with his policies but I think it's really overstepping boundaries and they're they're yelling at each other in English thankfully but with these great German accents and I, whenever people yell in a German accent I get real scared oh yeah just like just because you never know <laughs> you never know what you never gonna know do. what's gonna happen you don't know what they're gonna do where they're gonna put you yeah and where they're gonna keep you we've seen like what wh- where they can go you know <laughs> they've shown their they've shown their ass and so I gotta be real <laughs> careful so these two like German ladies yelling at each other and they're both probably more left-wing and liberal than like anyone in the united states ever but they're like arguing over one of them is saying bush is a fascist the other one is saying he's not a fascist he's just an asshole basically they're going back and forth about it and then finally this one lady goes the the lady who's arguing look he's not all that bad goes listen you don't have to tell me what fascism is and you don't have to tell me what totalitarianism is and you don't have to tell me what a dictator is because i know i'm jewish and it was like it was like drop the mic oh my god it was like this chick was like i am a german jew and everybody got really quiet and what to say everyone was like uh touche <laughs> i mean she wins she won the rap yeah battle. no she definitely won the battle it was like uh, eminem and who was that makai pfeiffer like who is that <laughs> I, th- I, am, I think might have been makai pfeiffer they have a, he she was like it was a very i was like whoa good job slim shady <laughs> she really made it happen and it was the most one of the most amazing and awkward things i've ever seen i was like wow i've never seen someone just own someone like that so quickly i wonder if she actually was a german jew she <laughs> probably was just like i'm i'm lutheran yeah but, but i'm gonna fuck with you <laughs> she's like you don't have to tell me oh my god. what a dictator is oh my god i am jewish oh and i was like <gasps> it was so awkward and all the like really well-meaning like super liberal cosmopolitan you know international did they clap no they just got really awkward and i was like uh so moving on but they were it was interesting because they were so blown away by i was showing them some youtubes of like anti-obama stuff like just cartoons people had made and different things and i think in their country I, i don't know what it's like i mean i think we've heard some of this about like in france about how like hate speech is very is policed and i think in germany it is as well very much so 
and there's some things you can say and some things you can't say like freedom of speech is an, is a different animal there than it is here and um so they were some of them were shocked they were like how is this legal how are people saying these things and it was so hard to not just be like ask your grandparents <laughs> like yeah, right. you know like it was so hard cuz sometimes people they were i mean they're great hosts and I'm not like throwing shade on them like I loved I loved it but you know having it it was there was a were a few moments where people were so like I don't understand. One lady was like, I don't understand how any modern country, a first world country, could democratically elect such a horrible person. And it's like, I agree with you, Bush sucks, but like your country literally democratically elected Hitler like yeah, not that long know. ago. Like <laughs> like I get I get why you're surprised and think that it sucks. But let's look at history here. Like, you know, but there was part of me this that was becoming very American. It was like, you won't fucking talk about Hitler? I'll talk about him. My grandpa flew against a Nazi granddad. I'll kill you. And then I was, and I remembered I didn't, I, and then I would like just chilled out and was like, oh wait, this country's really nice. Bye. Yeah. You know, so that, were you the only American? It was me and um, another American. His name is Derek. And oh, what is Derek's last name? He goes by he has um a, he's a, a rapper and musician who goes by the name DNA Derek Ashong, who's like amazing, and he went to Harvard, I believe, with Baratunde Thurston. Do you know Baratunde? Mm-mm. He's cool. He's a really awesome person. And so it's it was me, Derek Ashong, who everybody should um, check out. Just look up Derek Ashong or DNA rapper online. I mean, I think he's doing less musical performance now and more political stuff, but he's been like, he used to host a show on Oprah radio and he just does all kinds of cool shit. He was, he came to prominence in the, like online in the, during the Obama campaign because he was just like, you know, this this like young, good looking black dude wearing like chewing gum and wearing this baseball cap and this this fucking really conservative dude goes up to him, obviously expecting him to be an idiot. You can tell in the way that the guy asks him questions that he expects him to be a dummy. And there's like very like racial overtones to the way he talks to him. And he's like why do you support Obama? And Derek's like, oh, well, I support him for this reason, this reason, this reason. And it's like very intelligent. The guy's kind of taken aback because obviously he expected this kid oh to my God. be an idiot. So then he's like, well, what do you think about his, um, what do you think about his plans for health care? And he's all like aggro about it. And so then Derek very patiently is like, well, actually both of my parents are physicians and I believe in a, in a private pay, a private public partnership and just like, schools this guy not in a not in a nasty way like i'm jewish like <laughs> not in a, like there was nothing aggressive about the interaction um he just was very like just like explain like basically surprised the hell out of this guy and and he's but he's chewing gum the whole time so he was saying at the 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 german the, like the panel that we did he was like yeah my mom was mad at me so it went viral like millions of people watched it and it was one of the in the this was in 2008 so youtube was just like three years old so this was the first campaign where youtube was a big player and so it was really neat and people were really like excited by it and he was like yeah but my mom got mad at me because i was wearing a hat and i was chewing gum while i was talking (laughs) but it was it was cool so we and i was like a minor youtube star at that time because i was pretending to be sarah palin a lot and so they um and those videos went viral and so we were me and my friend diana Saez, who was my comedy partner were getting like a lot of press for them and 
So they brought us over as these American YouTube stars. Gotcha. In my youth. That's so crazy that YouTube is only 10 years old. I feel like YouTube, it, it has been forever. I know, isn't that weird? Like, with all, like, the technology changes, it's like, no, 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 it's always been like this. In my head, it's always oh, been yeah. like this. Oh, yeah. Well, you guys, you guys have such, with, with director Adam Wirtz, notably, um, Murder Fist folks have such a presence online and is there, like, what do you think is the most popular video that you've ever done with Murder Fist? Um, I would say uh, we did the, a rehearsal dinner. I think it's, it's just called rehearsal dinner mm-hmm. speech, where basically Henry, who is my brother, is is the estranged father, and <laughs> they ask him to, like, do a speech. And it's almost just, like, a monologue. But he owns it so hard, and it's so ridiculous. And it got a lot of press. It was on Nerdist, and, like, it, and, like a bunch of people saw it but actually we're fairly new into like climbing into online presence because we've been so based in our performance like just in our regular shows for so many years and it's a hard thing to break because we're like no we can't we don't know how to you know confine ourselves into just being an online presence but we're really trying to to get there because we have to because it's the only way and you know because like you're saying like festivals aren't as as important anymore because you should have a strong online presence i think that you guys are i mean the videos you do are are so great is it murderfist.com mm-hmm. and i also think that you guys have such a great presence that would be great on like like Comedy Central Studios or IFC or something like that, like where they develop people online. I mean, I just think you guys are ready-made for that. You're just so good. I mean, there's so many of you. How many of you are there? Nine? (laughs) I think nine. I mean, at one point it was like 14, so it it, it has vacillated over the years. Um, But now we're pretty strong, fast nine. I think it's nine. That's amazing. (laughs) But, you know, it is it is a lot of fun, and uh, I think a lot of times people are a little nervous about our content, which mm-hmm. is what holds us back, um, just because it is a little dark, but however, like, that's where comedy is going. Yeah. And, and, and people like dark, people like weird, and I think it's a hard thing to trust, which is understandable. Oh, yeah, I think everything is um, is going in, in that direction, because, like, sort of life is dark. <laughs> right. And people, sometimes people like comedy that I think reflects what's happening in reality. Yeah. And sometimes it's an escape. It depends. Like, we go through, I think, different phases as a society, what's dominating. Whether it's just like, hee hee deedly do, or it's like what you guys do, which is hee hee deedly do, and underneath it's like, Aah! Yeah, exactly. And then afterwards you're like, oh no, am I bad for laughing at it? <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. it's okay. You can laugh. It's okay. Everyone can laugh. It's at, totally You know, fun. laugh whatever you want to laugh at. What's your favorite role that you've played? Like, is there a sketch that you guys do that you just love doing? Ooh, I mean, there's a lot of them. I, I love the Funky Butter video. I love you and the Funky Butter video. <laughs> I love that. Which is, like, you're, like, Jackie is this, I'll just talk about it, like, you're not here. Jackie's this, like, stereotypical kind of 50s housewife, but, like, to an absurd, like, horrifying degree. Like, it's amped up. So, and it's almost like David Lynch is directing. <laughs> yeah. Where it's just, like, exaggerated. And so, it's just really fun. <laughs> I would have to say, it's a sketch that we don't uh, do too often anymore, but one of my favorite, like, all-time favorites was a sketch called New Fucking York, and it was basically 
I was like a young Latina mother and uh, I was talking with a construction worker who's Ed and a and a rabbi who was played by Tim Dean who's not in the group anymore mm-hmm. and it was all of us at like a bus stop and it, we were talking as it like every other word was a curse word <laughs> but it was about like the whole thing starts off because like the construction worker sneezes and it's like it's like what you can't just like you can't just like sneeze you gotta sneeze into the cornea arm what are you fucking what are you fucking retard and it's like i'm like holding the baby as i'm like cursing about how like like the etiquette of like health and how you're supposed to like cough into and it's like every other word but it's all about being polite to each other but they're like screaming at each other and uh just like basically trying to capture like the essence of new york which like yeah that's how people communicate yes it's loud and intense but however a lot of people in new york have the best intentions yeah even though they don't come across that way yeah especially yeah. if you're like, new like, to what it what the fuck are you doing exactly you gotta be careful yeah and they're trying to be nice to you right or like earlier today i was telling jackie earlier today my i was walking morley safer my dog and um we passed this lady with a big dog and morley safer starts barking at the dog and the lady goes that's unattractive <laughs> and i was like are you she's obviously mean? like not from here i don't know if she's been here that long but she's uh, like sort of a she hasn't adopted the language but the tone she has down of that's new york unattractive just like bah! there are those new york moments that are so um that are so great like when you're just hanging out um like together and you're you're out and about and then something happens and suddenly everybody who is isolated from each other and is pretending they don't see each other it comes together on they the acknowledge street. each other oh the couple's having a fight that looks pretty ugly and everybody else just start like paying attention just in case some shit goes down i love it i love that or like if you're on the train and someone's being extra crazy and then like you like make eye contact with someone across from you and do the like oh man i don't know what's going on over there you like kind of have like a moment together yeah and then you continue to pretend like each other doesn't exist yeah you have this moment where you're like exactly and also Everybody in New York is aware at all times that at any moment the shit could go down because sometimes it does. Yeah. And so people are constantly like, you're con- you're on a train. I'll have my headphones in on the train, just be chilling out, listening, and I'll see some people fighting. And based on their body language, I will turn my music up because I'm like, fuck it, I don't want to deal with this. Or I'll turn it down because I'm like, I might have to run. Yeah. Or you look around and be like, who am I going to have to rely on if I need someone in this train car? Oh, yeah. <laughs> As know? a woman, I do that a lot when I, if it's late night and if I'm on a train car and there's only dudes. Yeah. I'm like, which one of you is least likely to rape me? Right. Slash <laughs> most likely to help me out if this other dude tries to beat me. Exactly. And you're just kind of like, well, that's my life. Yep, that's it, man. Like, boop, doodly doot, doot. I remember it was like the first, like the second week I was in, like back in New York, and, uh, and some guy in the train pushed me. And, like, of course, I immediately look over, and he starts screaming at this guy who was taking a picture up my skirt. <gasps> and, like, he had pushed me out of the way because the guy was, like, underneath oh my God. me. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Because, like, immediately I turned, got mad at the guy that pushed me, and then I realized what was going on. And the guy ended up pulling the guy off the seat and pushing him out of the, tra- like, after, like, when the doors open at the next stop, he, like, pushes him out of the train car. Wow, that's cool. It was awesome. And I was just like... Ah, ah, thank you <laughs> uh, but also it's like 
my thighs touch. I don't know what the hell he was taking a picture of. I mind you too, like you wouldn't be able to see anything. There's <laughs> nothing up there. You see my thighs. That's I it. Feel like enjoy. And then if God forbid I was standing really far apart, you would see a bush. Yeah. Just a real bushy bush. So and that's, maybe you're into that. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I guess the upskirt thing I, it always kind of confused me. But I guess it's just like the them not knowing and you getting away with something. Yeah, it's, like it's, the, the, it's a violation. Yeah, like, the toilet the camera always like it was just like that's what you want to see you want to see mean, pooping is that I guess. what you want pooping peeps i googled my name once and there there was something that said sarah benicaza upskirt and i was like oh okay let me look at this and then it wasn't me it was a different person and i was like oh and like a little corner i was like well all right it's fair it was like celebrity upskirt and i was like am i famous and then i looked and it was some other sarah benicaza's vagina and i was like that's not my vagina could be though or he's like like you start sharing it look at my vagina look at how good i was talking on on twitter yesterday i was talking to to michael ian black and jen kirkman both of whom i like very much and they are i would say michael ian black is the most famous and then jen kirkman is less famous but still famous and then i'm not famous except to like my mom and her friends on the internet oh yeah for sure and i was talking to them and i was like what were you talking about? Uh, oh, somebody somebody wrote to me. This is actually an interesting question to pose to you. Somebody wrote to me and uh, and Tumblr, and they were like, they started like, you're smart, you're funny, you're um, you write well, and I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> and then it's like, does it ever piss you off that there are people who don't work as hard as you and aren't as talented who are more famous and rich? And I was like, that's the weirdest question I've ever gotten before. Weird. And I was like, this person I think is projecting their own issues but i thought it was an interesting question and i responded i was like you know i've never thought of it that way like i feel very lucky to be where i am and doing what i do like i feel grateful every day that i get to do comedy and do do writing and stuff and like i wanted to fucking die when i was 21 i was like suicidal in my early 20s and so i'm not dead so i feel like every day i'm alive it's like all right hell yeah you yeah. made it like i'm maybe it's a shit day maybe like i can't always pay my rent maybe i'm you know asking my brother if he can donate to my my kickstarter like <laughs> fucking like maybe i'm i'm 34 and i you know don't have kids don't have savings don't even own a car anymore had to sell it but like you know i get to write i get to write stories that's pretty cool and so i thought let me ask two like actual you know famous people so i was like i was asking jen first and then michael was like making jokes and weighed in and i was like and they were like making jokes about like how they're like oh yeah we're so rich we like to just like put money in the microwave with butter and eat it and i was like no but you're famous and i was like what like what kind of what do you think of this question and Jen was saying, Jen was like, no, there's real people who do think that way. She's like, I know people who get mad that, you know, that you gotta, there are people out there who think that way. And well, it's I, like Kim Kardashian, for example, it's like people hate that she's so rich and she's so famous for not doing anything. But also it's like, man, more power to her. That's how I feel. Yeah, it's she's like, a businesswoman. Yeah, she just like it's right place right time born into the right family Mm -hmm. and some people just have that advantage and some people have to work harder but other than that who gives a fuck just keep trying she's not hurting anybody like i've never heard her say a nasty word about anyone unless they said something mean about her little brother then she got mad at this one girl but like (laughs) she got mad at like adrian balone or something who was mean about her brother but she i've never heard her talk shit like i've never I don't watch the show or any her show, but 
I, you know, people are like, oh, she got famous because of a sex tape. Oh, well, there's so? people who get famous for less. So what? So she fucked and it was recorded and somebody stole it and released it. That's a violation of her privacy, but she made lemons into lemonade. Like, she's got, you know, whatever, man. Like, who cares? But you know there are some people out there who are who are mad that they're famous but not as famous as her. And and that's, it's just so ridiculous. It is all, all fame is is timing. It's just being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It is, all, I am convinced it is only luck. It has nothing to do with how talented oh, you are. Oh, no, nothing to do with it. It has to do with... Are you know? Are you? I mean, and now it can be so fleeting. It can be. Were did you happen to be present when you know uh, a famous building fell over? Right. Or like, do you happen to be uh, friends with a friend of a baseball player and you got the video of him doing something weird? Like, you right. can gain fame and notoriety for for a lot of things. But do you ever? I think the heart of the question that got to me, and this is something I have experienced, is. Feeling envious of someone else's success, like not hating them for it, but some there are times in my life where I go, "Oh wow, she has a best-selling book, man! I wish I could have that." Like that feeling, you know. I look at, I can look at um, somebody like Jacqueline Novak's good friend Lauren Oliver, who's this really talented young adult author, really super fucking popular bestseller. Every book she does is a huge bestseller. She's like, I don't know, maybe 32 or something. And so I can look at Lauren and go, wow, you know, she's so beautiful. She's so accomplished. Like she is such talented writer. Wow. You know, like we were at, I was, I was at something where we were both signing books and, you know, I had like no people and she had this line and that really kind of drives it home to you of like, who's, who's doing the best. So I wasn't mad at her. I wasn't like, well, why? And I wasn't like, why does she get this? And I don't, I was like, oh, I wish I could have that. Do you ever have that feeling? A thousand percent. I mean, that's honestly why I, uh, why I don't really watch sketch comedy on television. And it's not, again, like you said, it's not out of anger. It's not out of me hating anyone, but it makes me jealous in like my heart. Yeah. And it hurts too bad for me to watch. It's like people are like, oh, why haven't you seen all of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Because I've seen the first season and it was so funny and it broke my heart. Yeah. Because I liked it so much and because they were talented, they like had just submitted to that, um, to the FX. It was a competition to get that show. Danny DeVito was producing the competition, and they were chosen, and they became insane successes. So it's like, so it's something that is attainable for me. It is attainable for me in my group. It just wasn't something that happened to me. And so being in that sphere of it is that I can't enjoy it because it, it makes me it makes me sad. Yeah, yeah, I hear you know? that. <laughs> but it's so funny. And I also then it comes into all this play of like, well, I can't watch that because what if I saw an episode and then I'm writing a sketch and I'm like, oh, I can't do that because uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia to do that. Although you should be aware of what other people are doing, but it's like I'd rather not even have it in my head. Right. So that if it happens to be something that is on television, I, I came by it honestly. I love like Abby and Alana from Broad City they're so talented and Amy Schumer's fucking awesome rad girl and so talented her show is so great but I think that if I watched regularly I think I'd feel the same way I think I'd be like it would just hit me in this really like 
sometimes it's 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 this feeling of like joy mixed with this longing it's like a yearning feeling. yes exactly like when you see when you're in high school and you see jordan catalano or you see like the man the boy that that you that you want and like love you know you're this this you're the sweet yearning like ache inside of you Mm -hmm. oh yes yeah like like you know inside amy schumer is probably like seeing that is probably how i felt about the boy that i really loved when i was a sophomore and he was a senior and he like wouldn't talk to me even though amy would talk to me but like you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure but that's actually it's kind of nice because i'd rather have that than have it with a human being you know it's like i'd rather have that for like my career than have it for someone in real life because it makes it not because it makes the ache not last. Yes, and it also it's also attainable. Like it doesn't mean we're going to attain it, but it's something that is more. At- I think it's more attainable to get career success than to make someone fall in love with you. Oh yeah, for sure. Because that's just controlling like some other person's heart, which is impossible. But if whereas if you prove that you can make something that can make somebody money, people will be like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I can I can sell ads against that. that yeah. Sounds great. But I feel like that must be uh, talking about the like advertising and stuff makes me think of. Um, how sometimes Murder Fist stuff is so edgy, so on the edge, and so dark that I wonder if that has been an issue for you guys, like as you alluded to earlier, with networks getting a little gun-shy. For sure. I mean, that is something that we hit into time and time again. That or the option of, well, you know, we want to buy you, but we want someone else to write your material right and that is not something that we're willing to give up right or it is not a company to be sold it is something that is ours and hopefully someday the time will come along when that will be that we'll be given the opportunity to write our own stuff and to perform our own things and that's what we're holding out for and people are like oh you guys have been together for so long can't believe you guys haven't because we're waiting because we know that that opportunity will come at some point because we're not going to sell to us that's selling out right is having someone else write murder fist material because it's not we don't want to lessen the edge we don't we don't want to bring it out into the light a little bit more that's not what we want because there is an audience for it oh sure you know and it's like obviously you see it at all of our sold out shows you know it's like there's definitely an audience for it it's just trying to convince a network that there is an audience for it and there also is an audience for it online because i think murder fist sensibility translates to a lot of the stuff that's on cave comedy radio i mean how many like how many shows have murder fist members on them like there's a round table there's last podcast on the left there's I do um, page seven s- page seven there's sex and other human activities i'm sure brighter there's side more. oh yeah, yeah brighter side yeah i mean so i mean these are people who can do a lot of different things right and it's not that any of those shows sound like murder fist but i think that ev- all those shows have a following to a degree that you know, would follow Murder Fist online to to YouTube and to wherever. I mean, it would be interesting if um, if you guys ever did individual solo projects, like as part of a whole. Like that would be like, what would you do if you ever did a solo project, like just a character piece or something that was just you? I mean, I have a lot of ideas of things. You know, I'm working on my own web series now which has been in the works for a million years. Um, but I've also, I've had like a lot of 
different ideas that I've like thrown out at places like doing like I wanted to do Keisha which is basically like Kesha but I'm like trying to be a pop star <laughs> <laughs> that, like I'm just like a party girl that I call myself Keisha and I go to like like clubs and things like that but just do like a reality show-esque type thing of uh, me becoming a pop star I love it even though I have no singing ability I have nothing I'm just a party girl that thinks I can be a pop star and it works and it happens yeah in this, in <laughs> like, this, like weird world that we live exactly in. Yeah, that's cool. yeah and you know henry and i are starting to work on a bunch of things together which is great that's awesome it's wonderful to have a, a writing partner that's also your brother because we just we vibe so well together so we've been working on stuff together as well that's awesome and, and if you guys it. had a brother sister show that would be really cool that's i mean that's i would love that if you had a show that was called like bro and sis and it was just about your bro adventures in the city <laughs> bro and sis <laughs> and it was just about and it like i would love it if it took sort of like usual sitcom tropes and just made them super fucked yeah like that which I'm, really- I'm into that a thousand percent that or like if if keisha never came to light would be us trying to attain the john and joan cusack yeah like trying to emulate them which is something i would love anyway i would personally really enjoy watching henry thinking that he was john cusack and like just going through the evolution of both of their films oh yeah i (laughs) love it that would be awesome oh that'd be so cool yeah and uh oh you know what john this is like random but john cusack's in this brian wilson movie that's coming out brian wilson with the beach boys um who was like he's crazy yeah yeah yeah, but yeah. he's okay now he's really? like on some good meds and got good counseling yeah he was laid in bed and stayed in his bedroom for like 20 years that's crazy and then um he got some help and and has is like supported this film and everything and uh, you know i think his life is limited in some way I, I suppose anyone's would be with 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 mental illness i mean i know i have certain limits that i deal with but i think that like he he was able to lead a much fuller life and so john cusack plays him they do like a young brian wilson then older one i forget what it's called what i want to see that that Mm -hmm. sounds awesome yeah yeah i feel like john cusack as brian wilson would be so great i loved fucking high fidelity man that oh yeah for sure was the best that was the first time i ever saw jack black do anything and i was like what is happening so fun man i just rewatched school of rock yes what an amazing film i just smiled through the entire thing like i mean it is all just jack black being able to do whatever the hell he wants to do and isn't that amazing to have that kind of freedom oh yeah so like be brought into a project like that and they're just like do whatever you're gonna do yeah like we'll just this we're gonna create this space like i guess i don't know if he i think mike white wrote it i don't know if he he's in it mike white's in it mike white plays his um his uh his buddy buddy yeah yeah, and, yeah. Which, and at the end it's so sweet he's teaching the kindergartner how to do stuff yeah it's like so cute and mike white also has isn't sarah silverman and she's, like a she's, like yeah, so she's a bitch yeah it's so weird funny, which is so funny because it's just really funny seeing her play that role because i don't know her personally but all i ever hear about her is what a nice girl what a, is. how amazing she and is. like helpful to other comics and yeah kind and and sweet and so then but then she can play that like cunty role so well which is really awesome hell yeah that's the best i love finding out that people who play who play mean or play villainous are actually really nice yeah. even though i shouldn't be surprised but it's really fun it's so much better than finding out that somebody who plays nice is actually a terrible person yeah well also it's like i read that about um did you see whiplash 
Oh, with J.J. Simmons? J.K. Simmons, Simmons. yeah. Yeah. I didn't see it, but it sounds amazing. And he's so, like, horrifying in the movie. And then I read all this stuff because, like, after Whiplash, I was like, ooh, I want to look into all this stuff and how they made it and everything. And, like, everything, like, there was all these accounts of, like, how insane it was because he was, like, the ray of light on on the set. That he was, like, such a wonderful, amazing person that, like, he kept thinking, like, he would be, like, in this intense scene, and then once it was over, he'd be, like, cracking jokes and having a great time, and then, like, back in the scene, it was like, hell yeah, that's fucking great. I'm so excited he won the Academy Award because he's been this incredible character actor. For so long. For so long, and to see somebody who's a really intensely amazing character actor be a lead i mean he's i guess he's like the supporting actor and yeah sense, but it yeah. sounded like he he's such a huge prominent part of that film that you know he really is like a lead in that he's movie so good and he's just like and i, I could picture him being scary even he though is. he seems like a delight and you know when he when he goes and like does award show thank yous he talks about like his hot wife and stuff oh, he yeah. doesn't call her hot but she is hot yeah yeah, yeah. he'll be like yeah my wife like yeah <laughs> and, like his kids and stuff and yeah he there's just some people who when they succeed it makes you feel good so good when you guys get whatever like whatever break it is that feels significant to the outer world and to you guys whether it's like you know a web series with a major network or it's a tv series or it's a movie or like whatever the fuck it is people are going to be so excited for you. It's the same way people feel for Grawlix, for Adam, Kate, and Holland, and, and um, Ben Roy and Andrew Orvidal, the guys out of Denver who just got um, a true TV scripted show, like the yeah. first one after Friends of the People. Well, it's also how people felt for Lucas Brothers. Right. It's how people feel for Jermaine Fowler about like his pilot. It's how people feel for Gerard Carmichael, who just got a series order. Like It's how people felt for Schumer. It's just and certainly for broad city like because i think in all those cases what you see are people who put in a lot of work and there's people when people in the community of of comedy and entertainment know that and know you as a workhorse and then you get something they're so happy they're i mean yeah sure they're jealous but they're also like really happy for you but that's what i love specifically about the uh, comedy community in new york is that it is such a place that is it is a support system, a thousand percent. It it's pretty amazing that everyone is genuinely happy for each other. And there might be like the, what we were t- talking about earlier, that yearning inside of your heart. But it is never shown. I've never seen anyone that was upset at anyone's success. And anyone that is doesn't last too long. Yeah. Or no one cares about them. They can just move to L.A. I mean, but that's <laughs> and it's hard. I love L.A., but you know, L.A. is full of that. People being like. Ugh. it is it's a lot more cutthroat mm-hmm. and out here it's it is like like with friends of the people that are that our friends got these television like a uh, a sketch show and almost every single person i know has been in at least one or two episodes yeah i mean it's very inclusive like here i think the the sort of crowd of people that we the crowd of the broadly speaking the crowd of people that we generally run with is very inclusive like we try to we all seem to try to include each other in our stuff and and you know you work with people that you come up with and you work with people that you like and so if you're not an asshole if you're actually a nice person and you're fun and you're good to be with even when it's a shitty night and everybody did bad on stage and you're just like at a diner afterwards feeling crappy then when things are good hopefully those people remember you and are like yes come and do this because i know you can do good work and i was gonna i was thinking um one thing I've noticed in New York 
that people really admire is hard work. Like if you have the reputation of being a hard worker and people see you just, people respect that. Even if they don't like your comedy that much, they respect that. There's right. like such an emphasis on work here. And I love LA because LA, there's more of an emphasis on relaxation and chilling out and looking like, hey man, this just kind of happened. But one, but, but, and it's fun to chill out in LA, but also I've noticed people who come out of New York and go to LA a lot of times do great because like I went to LA and people were like, holy shit like you're going so hard as soon as you get here and to me i wasn't going hard i was doing like half of what i would do in new york right but i was just like trying so hard to do stuff and get shit together and just constantly pumping out ideas and it's that new york attitude and i don't know i think chicago um people just get so good there yeah like in chicago i've noticed people like in new york you learn how to fucking work and in chicago it's honing your craft just hone their craft it's like a, a conservatory or something because people, whenever I hear somebody's a Chicago comic, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm at least going to get a few laughs. For sure, exactly. Like, I at least know that they're going to be funny. Yeah. That's how I feel. <laughs> Absolutely. And now, increasingly, when I hear about people from Denver, I feel that way, too. Because having, like, seen what comes out of there and people like Kristen Rand and Adam Kate and Holland and different comics, who, who I saw more of in L.A. because it's just closer. Um they, but there's certain scenes where you hear like, oh, he's a so-and-so. For a while, there were like comics coming out of New Orleans. So I was like, oh, okay. They're they're from that crew. Those are funny dudes. Yeah. It's sad that my instinct is du- to say dudes rather than funny people. <laughs> because uh, do you think there's more room for chicks in sketch comedy than in stand-up? Or do you think it's like the same? I would say it's the same. Yeah. I think, I think that, I mean, uh, sometimes people see Murderfist and they're like, oh, well you know you're you're playing like the bitch or you're playing this character because like they need to have a woman it's like no i mean i i'm i'm one of we're all writers right i write i write this we all write we write for each other it's not something that it's like oh well they have to have a woman even though that's what people assume if there's a woman in the sketch group it's like oh well you need one to play the girls right it's you like need them to play the girlfriend yeah it's like that's but that's not what it is it, it's you just it's whether you want to have a girl or not. But I think that a lot of... I think in the writing room, it is hard sometimes if you haven't like been working with women to work with a woman. Like if you're a bunch of dudes. They know? don't know how to talk to us sometimes. They yeah. don't know how... or and It's like they're, they're so used to dividing in their head, talking to men and talking to women. And some women are this way too. We get trained to talk to the opposite sex one way and the same sex a certain way or the opposite gender and the same sex a certain way. And then when you have to work together it jams everybody's signals because they're like well how do i wait but you have different parts than i do how am i supposed to talk to you the same this goes against everything i've ever been taught right and i think that that is an advantage i've had in murder fist is that i am essentially pretty much like the younger sister of the entire group but like also a bro yeah i'm not treated like a woman unless it's like they're also very gentlemanly that like i mean i never carry things i never have to do things i don't want to do <laughs> i definitely play that card often <laughs> the chivalry card oh yeah, yeah, yeah you know, no. it's like pack of monsters who are oh, like yeah. well, i'll lift that for you yeah like, thank you it's it's great because i am i mean i'm definitely treated like a princess but when it comes to the writing room when it comes to comedy when it comes to like being daring they, there's no question when it comes to me i'm no different than they are that's really cool yeah and i mean you guys physically do a lot of physical comedy and i've never seen a, i've never looked at a scene and been like oh they were protecting jackie the gentle flower in this scene right. like you will go if there's like a pratfall to take like you're as likely to take it as somebody else exactly so on stage all of that's left at the door 
But, like, yeah, I'm not going to be the one that goes on a beer run during a meeting. Yeah, Because you're going to fucking do it. <laughs> 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 fucking Ed. Ed Larson, by the way, who so we're talking about, he is a, a past guest of this very program. Hell yeah. He talked about a time on the subway when some lady was being mean to this, this young Polish girl who this lady um, bumped into this girl. She wasn't, like, holding herself properly on the L. And, you know, the L goes all, like, wonky under the East River. So she's, which I love to watch people fall over. It's a personal yeah. pastime of mine. Like, I'll sit on that train and just be like, yeah, I can do that all day. <laughs> but so this old lady falls over and uh, because she wasn't bracing herself and she falls onto this girl. And then she looks at the girl and she goes, you know, in this country, people have manners. Whoa. And the girl looked so sad and Ed goes, shut up. <laughs> and she's like, what? And he's like, and he's like, it's your fault. You fell on her because you weren't holding yourself up. And um, she was like, um, she was like, she was like, what? Don't talk to me that way. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, nobody loves you. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> she's like, uh, she's like, I have a husband. And he's like, yeah, and he's cheating on you. And it became like this routine where Ed was just like performing and people were laughing. And I was like, no, that's beautiful. You know, Ed comes from the school of hard knocks. You know, he tells it like it is, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, that's great. Ed's a magnificent monster. Oh, yeah. I remember when you guys got that piece in the New York Times, they said something about Ed, and I thought that was cool. Like, they described him in some fashion. Um, as a, and they described you guys as like punk rock. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Which is cool. Was that cool when that article came out? Were yeah. you guys like freaking out? Yeah, and it's pretty awesome because we perform at the pit every month and we teach workshops there and they still have the article like on a big poster board oh, up cool. front with our picture. Like they're so proud of us. That's so great. And it's pretty awesome. I yeah. love the pit. Like I love Ali Faranaki and started the pit many years ago and I remember um, he started it like 10 years ago, I guess. And I remember going there in 2006 for a class in sketch comedy with Kevin Allison from the state, um, who I could compare to Murder Fist if only because there's so many of them. Yes. You know, you guys have really different sensibility, but you're both really boundary pushing and will do weird fucked up shit. I love the state. Yeah, I love the state so, so, so much. And so Kevin um, was my teacher, and then I took a class with Ali later, and uh, and yeah, the pit is a very has been a wonderfully supportive environment. I've not gone through improv there, so I don't know if it's like competitive or whatever in the way that it can be at UCB. I don't know, but the pit I feel like is very nurturing. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot, uh, a lot of more happy stories coming out of especially the improv groups in the pit as opposed to the UCB. Yeah, it is not as cutthroat. It's not a. It's more. It's again. It's more the the New York ideal versus the LA ideal. It is a lot more supportive. Oh yeah, and it's 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 more like the pit to me is what UCB used to be, and UCB is great, and I recommend you know taking classes at UCB and the pit when you come to if you move to New York, um, but UCB I remember being smaller, and the pit is this big, beautiful, gorgeous. I mean, the pit. Some people go to the pit and they don't even know it's a comedy theater. They go because the bar is so beautiful yeah. and elegant. Like it's really great, but um, it, it the pit also is a more tight-knit community and in the way that I think UCB was once upon a time before it became so huge that it's like now it's a machine on two right. posts. It, 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 it's a machine. Which is great. I mean, and, and you know what? It would be if the pit gets that big one day, God bless, they'll be making money hand over fist. Hell yeah. Which is great. I want that for them. But right now, I feel like it's much more navigable. And I've always felt like that was my comedy home. Do you feel like you have a comedy home? 
Um, I mean, pretty much it's wherever Murder Fist is, yeah. to be honest. You know, it's like, it's funny, I was, I was even thinking about this the other day. I had to go do this panel for a, a web series that I, I was on um, with Mike. Michael Sherman created a web series called Improvising. And everything, uh, there was barely any script. And, and it was all, it was a bunch of teachers from UCB and the pit that were like the main people. It's like a reality, not reality, but like like a sitcom based in reality about people that teach improv oh wow and i was the barista at the at the coffee shop where they all hung out all the time and um so i had to go do this panel and talking about it and i get nervous before i have to go do anything without my boys Mm -hmm. i'm so used to traveling like even if it's not all of us it's like i'm used to having some of my guys there and it like is it weird you know it's a net for me i mean i'm used to having that or marcus or any like marcus who runs cave comedy radio it's right, like right. i'm used to having a gaggle of protection and going into doing things like that i'm like i have to do this by myself and it's gonna be fine and i don't need to be nervous about it but that's it's something that i I'm coming into more and more often as I'm breaking away from the nest and doing a bunch of other projects, but it is something that's hard for me every time I do it without having my guys there. And it's cool that you've come up in such a way that you've been so supported and loved. And like, that's a really, I think rare and beautiful thing. Um, And I think not just because you're a girl, I think you occupy probably a unique place in the ecosystem as like the younger, the younger sibling of everybody in a sense. Right. You know, and not, I don't even mean like actually being related to Henry. I mean, just sort of like being the, the young one who's gone through your wild phases and who's gone through, you know, different phases of life and who they've like looked after and who's been like their little, our little princess, our little star. (laughs) Well, it's funny. We actually had this conversation the other night that they think it's funny that like all of, you know, we get it like a rough and tumble. People see us as like, you know, like a, like a crazy party fun time gang. And they pointed out the fact that like, I'm the only one that has tattoos in the entire group. Oh really? Yeah. And isn't that interesting? I never had thought about it before. And it's like, that's interesting. That, like, yeah. you're right, I'm, like, the wild young one that, like, had her, like, crazy time. And then, you know, we're all drunks, but for the most part, they're, like, they've always been a lot more stable than I have been, even though they get the rap as, like, the crazy boys. Which beetle are you? Ooh. Oh, I'm George. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm not even going to get that. It's Ooh. just someone buzzing my door, but I don't care. Who needs it? Who needs it? Not interested. <laughs> George is a great one to be. Yeah, George is always my favorite. Yeah, George is also like the, in some ways, the most experimental and adventurous. For sure, one. he was, man. That's I loved cool. Him. Oh, never a Ringo. I'm ne- never a Ringo. I will never be a Ringo. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jackie Zabrowski, where can people go to learn more about you and things that you do and things that you like? Ooh, um, I mean, Cave Comedy Radio. Mm-hmm. I like. I do three different podcasts on Cave Comedy Radio. Oh yeah, which are which are Page Seven, which I do celebrity. Gossip with uh, Molly Neffel, who is a very <laughs> political. I love that you guys do feminist. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, it's, she is a comedian, and it's fun to talk about uh, fun. That's so fun. I love that things. idea. And uh, I do the roundtable of gentlemen, which a bunch of the with a bunch of the dudes that we've discussed on this podcast. Roundtable's great. And uh, and then I also do sex and other human activities. Uh, do you guys talk about fucking, or do you talk about mental health more? We do more mental health. Yeah, that's what Marcus was saying. He's like, hey, we talk more about... And I feel like when I was doing the show, we 
started to move in that direction too um which is funny but i think like sex just brings up sex is like sort of the hook for that show definitely People like maybe i'm gonna get a boner listening and then they actually listen to it and they're like i think they expected to be like this week in jack in which yeah. is very much about about which i just did which is um if you want to hear me talk about masturbating to susan sarandon look up this week in jack in yeah i did i think i did it two weeks ago too it's good time. i probably said some things that maybe oh, i shouldn't yeah. have said i said some things i shouldn't have said i thought about it later and <laughs> i was like, oh, was like wow. oh no i shouldn't it's have. like the most uncomfortable show but i think people think that uh, although i had a really good time you get comfortable in there and then yes. later you're like what the uh, but uh sex and other human activities um is not like that actually no it's which is why it's so great i think why that show is so fun um and you are you on the twitters i am my my handle is jack the worm jack the worm yeah and i'm out there and then i uh yeah i mean if you just look me up there's a bunch of shit out there just i've been i've been on a fucking train lately i'm on a project train just making it happen hell yeah all right dudes well have an awesome uh day or night depending on when you're listening to this or or just you know have an awesome whenever like why do we have to be so tied to temporal statements good for you man fucking man yeah um (laughs) jackie thank you so much i would love to have you back sometime hell yeah thanks so much for having me you're welcome